Hi, I'm Wayne Heinsohn, the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. Well, today is the start of marriage week here in Australia, so I want to talk about love. Love is such a a beautiful thing, and it's very important for us as followers of Jesus to understand love in all of its context. And one of those is the context of marriage. So today's message is called Married for Life. And before we get into it, there are a couple of things that I just want to mention to make it very, very clear when it comes to what we're going to chat about today. The first of those is, I know that there will be some people with us that aren't married. So either never been married, uh, you've been married but um, have been widowed, maybe married but now divorced or separated. And if that's your case today, I don't want you to think that there is nothing in today's message for you. Yes, we're going to be putting it into the context of marriage, but what we're talking about today can actually uh, relate to relationships that we have with family, relationships that we have with friends. Uh, There's a whole lot of areas where we can take what God wants us to share today and to put it into different relationships in our life. And more than that, I actually think that there are some things today for every person to take. It's godly wisdom that they can speak into the lives of other people. So you might not be married, but maybe your children are married. And there's something today that you'll be able to speak into their marriage, which I know might benefit their marriage. And so whether they're walking with Jesus or not, I do believe that there's going to be some wisdom that you can take for your own marriage. But if you're not married, for others as you speak godly wisdom into their marriage and their relationships. The other thing I want to profess is I am no expert when it comes to marriage. I am very, very clear uh, that I'm not an expert. I'm just trying to be the best husband that I can be and, you know, trying to have the healthiest marriage uh, that I can have. And so I'm going to speak today, but I'm not speaking uh, for for me. I'm speaking on behalf of God, if that makes sense. Um, I'm his conduit for what he wants to say. And that's why I know that there's going to be something in today's message for every person, because this is all about his word and his plans for marriage. And once again, I'm just honored to be able to represent God. Now, I'm not an expert, but there are going to be some experts joining us today because I've asked some uh, people, recorded some video with some people, asked them to join us to speak into marriage and relationships. And the first of those is a very well-known relationship expert, Dr. Gary Smalley. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve, and I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriages is something I think we're all excited about, and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley? Oh, well, oh. That, that's Sorry. our faux pas. Yes, that. We've got some killer marriage tips we think are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dance and get this party started and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no. do it. No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dance. When you get the chance, finish your wife's sentences for her. Yeah. 
It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence. Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you, and you're predictable, but in a good way. When on vacation, have fun, but make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing. Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for good financial stewardship. No, that's... Yeah, it is. It is. It is. That makes sense. It is, it is, it is, it is. That not makes sense. It is. It. When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak, and then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again. And that's how the killer comebacks happen. Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs. And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents, but putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. Putting your spouse in the timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Like that. Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> You know, guys, uh, those were kind of horrible tips. Okay. I guess she didn't like them that much. I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd, like, kill most marriages. Well, I guess we're at an impasse then. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end, and send this thing off with some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We gonna do that with us? I, I, t I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this, and it's kind of, like, weird. All right, so perhaps those tips from Johnny and Chachi, perhaps they weren't the best advice to give you very early on in our message today. And the reality is, I look at that, those tips and that advice and I think maybe compared to Johnny and Chachi, maybe I am a little bit of an expert when it comes to marriage. And obviously that's not serious. The video wasn't serious. Just wanted to give you a little bit of a chuckle, a little bit of laughter as we share our time together today. But I also know that one of the keys to a great marriage is actually to have laughter and to have joy in amongst it. So I hope very much that achieved its purpose today. So what I want to actually do is I want to explore what the biblical ideal is when it comes to marriage. And I want to compare that to the reality of probably your marriage and my marriage, because it tends to be this kind of like fuzzy, blurry expression of that biblical model that we are given. And that's because, you know, every marriage that is represented here today 
and I'm probably not telling you anything that you don't already know if you've been married for any length of time, but every marriage represented today is not the ideal. We all fall short of God's biblical ideal when it comes to marriage. And I think it's important for us to start from that place, acknowledging that our marriages aren't all that God wants them to be. And I think it's healthy for us to start from that place as well, because uh, what it allows us to acknowledge is that there's still some room for us to improve. There's still some room for us to grow. There's still areas in our marriage where we can get better. We can't move towards the ideal marriage if we're under the illusion that our marriage is already perfect. If our marriage is already perfect, guess what? We don't need to improve. You can switch off right now and go about your day. Now, don't do that, but you understand what I'm actually saying to you today. Because I'm yet to meet a couple, no matter if they've been married for five minutes or 50 years, who have the perfect marriage, whose marriage is completely aligned with the biblical model of marriage that we're going to talk about today. If we're truthful, we all have disagreements. We all argue about things. We never see eye to eye on every single topic. And as I say that, I can see you at home right now, looking at your husband, looking at your wife, giving them that look that only married people know. It's a non-verbal communication that says, essentially, I think he's talking to you today. Well, yes, I am talking to you, but I'm talking to both of you. All right, let's move on before I get myself even into even more trouble. So we're going to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles today, I encourage you to go there. Verses 21 through to 33, we want to just sort of attack this chunk of Scripture because it is where we find that ideal biblical model when it comes to marriage. So beginning at verse 21, here's what we read. So beginning at verse 21, here's what we read. And out of your reverence for Christ, be supportive of each other in love. For wives, this means being devoted to your husbands like you are tenderly devoted to our Lord. For the husband provides leadership for the wife, just as Christ provides leadership for his church as the saviour and reviver of the body. In the same way the church is devoted to Christ, let the wives be devoted to their husbands in everything." And to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. For he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. All that he does in us is designed to make us a mature church for his pleasure until we become a source of praise to him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Husbands have the obligation of loving and caring for their wives the same way they love and care for their own bodies. For to love your wife is to love your own self. No one abuses his own body, but pampers it, serving and satisfying its needs. That's exactly what Christ does for his church. He serves and satisfies us as members of his body. For this reason, a man is to leave his father and his mother and lovingly hold to his wife, since the two have become joined as one flesh. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great mystery of Christ and his church. So every married man should be gracious to his wife, just as he is gracious to himself. 
and every wife should be tenderly devoted to her husband. Now, I read through a passage of scripture like this, and I can't help but think there are so many areas in my life that need to improve in terms of my marriage. I love my wife dearly, and I try very much to follow this biblical model that we read about in Ephesians 5. But, you know, if I am thinking about it with truthful eyes and truthful mind, the reality is I probably get it right just as much as I get it wrong. You know, I fall short just as much as I succeed. And if I'm honest, there's a part of me that thinks I'm not sure I'm ever going to get to that ideal biblical model when it comes to marriage. And maybe you can relate to that as well. I've only been married for 26 years and I know some people with us today have been married for a lot longer than that. But no matter how long you've been married, getting to that ideal seems to be out of reach. And I just want to say that that's the place that the enemy wants us to be. Because the enemy knows that if he can bring discontent and if he can um, bring uh, discord when it comes to marriages, that he can actually break the church apart. That's his goal. He knows that healthy and fruitful marriages are essential to the kingdom of God growing and flourishing. And so what he wants to do is he wants to get us to the place where we think, oh, this is hopeless. My marriage is never going to get better. Or I'm a failure as a husband or a wife or, you know, one of those many lies that he tells us. But I want to remind you that the devil is a big fat liar. Nothing he says is ever grounded in truth. There's no truth in the words that he speaks. So nothing should be given any weight when it comes to your life, your relationships, and your marriage. The devil is our enemy, and he hates everything that is of God. And we know marriage is from God. And so God-ordained marriages, they're a number one target when it comes to the enemy. He hates that because God has ordained marriage as uh, it's so uh, important for God, uh, that concept of marriage. So we've got to actually learn to stand together and to fight against the schemes of the devil. We've got to come together, not allow him to bring division. Sadly, we're seeing so much division in our communities at the moment, but in marriages, we need to come together and we need to fight. Here's something that I want you to remember. Your spouse is never, ever your enemy. Your husband is not your enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. I understand that there might be issues that you need to work through, that you might have made some mistakes across the years, but let's remind ourselves that our spouse is not our enemy. And let's also remind ourselves that all things are possible with Christ. So, if we need some healing in our marriage, that is possible when Jesus is in the middle of that. The power of the Holy Spirit is what will help each and every one of us move closer and closer to that ideal Christian marriage. Not allowing the enemy to bring division, but allowing the Holy Spirit to bring us closer and closer together and to strengthen strengthen our marriage. And we see very clearly in a verse like Isaiah 41.10, uh, some great rendering of that. And I hope this is a word of encouragement to you. Here's what it says. Don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need to fear for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. 
I'll hold you steady, keep a firm grip on you. And I think that's a great verse and speaks into the time that we're in at the moment with a lot of fear around us. But I think too that it speaks into our marriage. It might not look perfect right now. Your marriage might be far from perfect. I, you know, have been in places like that when it's been a long, long way from that ideal. But what I know is that the Lord promises to help each and every one of us to attain the perfect marriage or a better marriage by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is just give you two characteristics that will help you to know that you're on the right track when it comes to moving towards God's plan for that ideal marriage. Now, are there more than two? Absolutely. I could have given you 20, but I just wanted to drill down and focus on two today. The first of those is a marriage needs to be Christ-centered. Now, what we actually need to understand is that no matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, no matter our relationship status, our lives are centered around something. They're centered around something. When we're kids, when we're teenagers, uh, even some people when they're adults, it's centered around self. So it's all about me, 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 me. But hopefully as we grow, hopefully as we mature, that actually changes. And what happens is that our marriage gets centered around each other. Our marriage becomes central to who we are and what we do. For some people, our lives are centered around children or grandchildren or money or career or image or so many other things that our life can be centered around. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know that your life is centered around something. Can I just say that being Christ-centered is a lot different than just calling yourself a Christian? Two people who say that they are Christians can live together, they can be married, but it doesn't mean they have a Christ-centered marriage. It doesn't mean that Jesus is in the middle of how their marriage operates and how they are living. It's a very important distinction that we need to make. And this has taken me a bit of a while to get my head around because, uh, you know, when I was first married, neither my wife or, or myself, Jackie, neither of us were Christians. And it wasn't until probably a year after we were married and uh, I'd, we'd been in America on a holiday. I'd come back uh, to go back to work. My wife, Jackie, had stayed in America. And it was there that she met Jesus as her Lord and her Savior. And at that moment of time, her life changed dramatically because now Jesus was at the center of every part of her life. So every decision she made, every thought that she had, it was all centered around Jesus. But for me, my life was actually centered around me and what I wanted. I didn't know who Jesus was. And so what it actually did in our marriage was it created this chasm because we had very different thoughts and very different worldviews. Now, I just want to say a huge thank you to my beautiful wife, Jackie, because it wasn't an easy season for her. She could have quite easily just went, I'm done, I'm out of here, this is too hard, I'm walking away. But she persevered through those years that I wasn't walking with God. 
And I want to speak to the men and the women that are with us today that are in that similar situation. You've been married for a period of time. I know for some, that's been a long period of time and your husband or your wife, they're not walking with Jesus and you don't have that Christ-centered marriage or you might feel like you don't have that Christ-centered marriage. I want to say a couple of things. Congratulations for not walking away for sticking with your spouse, for committing to your marriage. Um, Well done to you. I think you should be praised for that because I appreciate having been in that situation. It's not easy and it's complicated and it's challenging. And I know all of those things. But can I ask you to continue to pray and believe for your spouse, your husband or your wife, to come to know Jesus. That is the most powerful thing that you can do in your marriage. And being Christ-centered, having Jesus there in the middle, okay, your spouse might not know that, but when he is central to who you are and to your life and you bring him into that marriage and pray for your husband or pray for your wife, you're making a difference and they're seeing Jesus in you. So I hope that that is encouraging doesn't mean you're not going to continue to face challenges, um, but when you're committed to your marriage, despite those challenges that you're facing, then I know that God is going to breathe his blessings upon that. For me, once I finally came to my senses and what I had to do was overcome my, my desire, my need to have all of my questions answered, once I could overcome that, then I could get to the place where Jesus came into my life. And at that moment of time, our marriage changed dramatically because now both of us had Christ at the center of who we are, of the lives that we were living, but also now at the center of our marriage. And since then, that's exactly how it's been. He's at the center of our finances. He's at the center of our parenting. He's at the center of our ministry, our marriage, everything that is there. Now, like I said before, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. We are a long way from it. We are a work in progress, and I'll share some of that with you shortly. But what it does mean is that we're committed to making space for God in our marriage. And that's a lot of what it means to have a Christ-centered marriage, is to make sure that there is space for him to be in amongst the connection and the bond that you have as a couple. It's because of that commitment that we have this absolutely, completely incredible, God-ordained, and I believe greatly blessed relationship that is much, much better than I ever thought it would be. I grew up in a fractured house. I grew up without a dad. My mum and my biological dad divorced. And so I didn't have a model of what it means to have a, a marriage a healthy marriage even, not even a Christ-centered marriage, but a healthy marriage. So it wasn't modeled to me. And so that's been one of the challenges that I have had to overcome. But I've stayed committed to my marriage. And we see in Ephesians 5 exactly how important commitment is. In verse 21, we read, and out of your reverence for Christ. In verse 23, just as Christ provides leadership for his church. In verse 24, in the same way the church is devoted to Christ. In verse 25, the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. Can you see that there's a recurring theme throughout that passage, those few verses there? And it's the theme that Jesus is at the center. 
And it's a great example, it's a great model for us in terms of our relationships, whether that's marriage or otherwise, the importance of having that Christ-centered um, component to those relationships. And Jesus isn't just on the periphery. He's, he's not on the bench and you just call him in, you know, when things get rocky and you, you need some help with something. It can't be like that. It has to be that he is at the center of our marriages and our relationships. So you might be thinking, well, how does that actually work? How do we have a Christ-centered marriage? What does that look like when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to my marriage? Well, like a lot of things when it comes to walking the Christian life, it's pretty simple. It's actually really straightforward. And you know, some of the things that uh, you can do, read your Bible together, go to church together, serve in church together, learn to forgive one another, submit to one another in love, forgive one another. Uh, you can rejoice in each other, that laughter that I talked about. Show love and respect. There are so many very simple things that we can do when it comes to having a Christ-centered marriage. Now, I said at the outset that what we're going to do today is have some experts join us. So uh, I touch base with Brett and Kate Ryan. They run Focus on the Family here in Australia. And I asked them to speak into this concept of a Christ-centered marriage. I guess we like to picture it as like having a jewel in your hand and the jewel represents your spouse. And just like we are jewels in Christ's hand, our spouse is a jewel in our hand. And it's what are we going to do with that? Our job is to push them in a very loving way more and more to fall in love with God. Uh, it's not us pushing to make them fall more and more in love with us because that is going to be a beautiful byproduct. Yeah. If they truly love the Lord, they are going to serve because they're going to want to represent him. And so that, that is the aim. Let's face it, we're going to fail. <laughs> um, but, that, but that is where we want to head. So we know where we're going. We're going to stumble. But that's okay because grace, uh, God shows us grace. Yeah. And just like we should be showing each other grace. And, and so, but it's a journey. It's a, it's not, you're not going to get the perfect marriage overnight. No one's going to get a perfect marriage. That's just not the way it is. Our, our spouses are going to have flaws. We come from different backgrounds. We come from, you know, there's, there's a whole myriad of things that happen in a marriage that can affect your relationship. It's whether you choose to keep bringing whatever happens back to God. Yeah. If you can picture a triangle and if God's at the point and you're at the other two points, if you point going towards Christ, you actually get drawn closer, closer. together. Yeah. And actually all the research actually says that couples that actually serve God, pray together, um, you know, worship together, actually get drawn together and have healthier, happier, long-term marriages. And those who uh, walk through crisis and stay together as they work through their crisis, they become actually the intimacy in all different versions. I'm not just talking physical. I'm talking their emotional intimacy, their relational intimacy is so much richer for having walked through crisis together. Well, thank you, Brett and Kate, for your insight when it comes to that. We're going to hear from them again in a little while here at Grace Church. So uh, the first characteristic of that ideal when it comes to a biblical marriage or a God-centered marriage is to have Jesus in the middle. 
The second is that it is covenant keeping. Covenant keeping. And when you think about wedding vows, it's very interesting what traditionally has been spoken during a wedding ceremony. Things like in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, uh, in, for richer or poorer, you know, those kind of things that you see spoken at weddings. What are they essentially saying? No matter what happens, we'll stick together and we'll get through it together. We'll get to the other side. Well, That's what it used to mean. I mean, sadly, you know, it seems that the world that we live in, uh, marriage is almost disposable for some people. Uh, They have given away the covenant nature of marriage too easily. And that's true inside church and that's true outside church. But can I just say at this point of time, if your marriage has failed for whatever reason, I want you to know that I'm not speaking against you. I'm not speaking uh, negativity towards your situation. I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm not speaking condemnation. I'm not doing any of that. I understand that there are significant reasons why some marriages fail. And I know that that is between you and God. It's actually nothing to do with me, but we support you. And um, we just acknowledge the journey that you have been on. Sometimes there are valid reasons, particularly, you know, for, for safety, personal safety, that that covenant is broken. And we need to acknowledge that. But that's not to diminish the importance of the covenant. Okay. After 26 years of marriage, I've learned marriage is a journey, not a destination. And that's difficult for me because I'm a destination guy. If I'm going from A to B, let's get to B as quick as we can. Whereas my wife, she's let's enjoy the journey from A to B. But it's a thought to, I have to remind myself, and maybe it's a thought for you as well, because it helps me to know that we are not at the destination yet. We hope to get one step closer each and every day to that destination, but we know ultimately we're highly unlikely to actually get there at all because we are a work in progress individually and our marriages are a work in progress. But when we think about a journey, along a journey, there are challenges There are hardships. There are struggles that we need to overcome. There are things unexpected that pop up from time to time. And, you know, my family and and I, we love to take road trips. Can't at the moment because of lockdown, of course. But when we do, you know, things like flat tires or whining kids or unscheduled toilet breaks, roadworks, there are all unexpected things that come up that can interrupt or slow down the journey. Now, marriage is no different. The challenges might look different in every relationship, but they are there. On a road trip, we don't stop the journey because there's a challenge. And in marriage, we shouldn't stop the journey of marriage just because there are some unexpected challenges. For me, if I can just get a little honest and a little raw with you for my marriage, it's filled with massive miscommunications from time to time. There's painful misunderstandings where, you know, we're speaking the same language, but ultimately we're not speaking the same language. There's been hurt feelings. Uh, There's intense conversations. I'll do intense conversations, uh, which is just church code for, you know, we fight or we have disagreements or arguments. Um, you know, and Jackie and I, you know, some of the things that, you know, we'll argue about, 
One of the things recently has been how to pack the dishwasher. Because I'm of the thought that you should rinse the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. That way you can put more in the dishwasher and do less loads. Jackie's of the thought the dishwasher, its job is to wash the dishes. So you put them in there dirty and the dishwasher washes them. But in order for that to happen properly, you need to put less dishes in there. So that's one of the things, you know, that we have disagreements about. When we're on a physical road trip, there's disagreements about how I drive. There's disagreements about how Jackie drives. There's, um, you know, disagreements about what route we should take. That's less and less so now, you know, with GPS and things like that. But that was one of the things. Uh, we can at home, we can fight about the temperature. Jackie is a hot person, so she likes the temperature cold. I'm a cold person, so uh, I like the temperature to be warm. She could just be walking around in a short sleeve shirt and I've got three layers of clothes on. Those kind of things. And actually, funny thing, as I was preparing this week, for this message and just, you know, feeling a little uncomfortable, <clears throat> excuse me, feeling a little uncomfortable speaking about marriage, we started having a conversation about this bookcase that is right behind me. And Jackie said, look, we, uh, we need to do some culling. We need to get some, rid of some of the books that are there because they're not sparking joy in me. And I think she's been watching some Marie Kondo on TV. And I said, no, everything's okay. The books are in a bookcase. That's where they're supposed to live. That's where they're supposed to go. We don't actually need to do anything. Then Jackie said, look, you're being annoying because you're not agreeing with me because she wants to clean out the bookcase and give some books away. I think we kind of haven't resolved that part of the conversation, but I thought about it and I want to say, thank you, Jesus, giving me that illustration, perfectly timed for our message today. But for Jackie and for me, and hopefully for you and your spouse, we don't let those little disagreements, we don't let those misunderstandings, those miscommunications, we don't let them get in the way of the covenant which forms the basis of our relationship. We know that there are going to be times we don't see eye to eye. We know that there are times when we have different opinions or different thoughts on how we should approach something, whether that's parenting or just other aspects of daily life. But we didn't enter into a contract when we were married. We entered into a holy covenant. And that's why it's so very important for us to keep the covenant that we made before God. We made a lifelong commitment to each other. We made a lifelong commitment to God. And because of that, we are determined to stay together and work through the differences in our marriage. In my life, we've made a choice to be married for life. No matter the potholes on the journey, that's what we plan to do. We've been very close a couple of times to walking away from each other. But because we've had this covenant, it's the thing that's no matter how tenuous the bind has been in a season, it's the thing that has kept us together. And that word covenant actually comes from an Old Testament Hebrew word, which is briath. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Briath is uh, how I'm going to pronounce it. It actually means cutting. So when you see a covenant established in the Old Testament, there's always a shedding of blood. And if you were to go to an Old Testament Hebrew wedding, what you'd actually see is a very powerful 
covenant ceremony. So here's what would happen occasionally. The, uh, the priest, he would get the hand of both the bride and the groom, and the priest would just put in a little nick, get a, a knife and just uh, a little cut so that it would draw some blood on the hand of the bride and the groom. And what would actually happen then so that's the shedding of the blood, the cutting that um, that word breath actually means. But what would happen then is the priest would join the hands of the bride and groom together so that the blood would mingle. I know it sounds pretty gross and you may be thinking about all of the health issues in 2021. I understand that, but let's move beyond that. The priest would then actually bind the hands of the bride and the groom together. And that was this outward display that the two had now become one. And in Ephesians 5 verse 31, we read about that. It says, For this reason a man is to leave his father and his mother and lovingly hold to his wife, since the two have become joined as one flesh. And that is exactly what the priest is doing. Then what would happen is the bride and the groom, they would share their covenant vows before family and friends, and more importantly, before God. And I'm thinking no one's doing that today, but it creates a picture for you and for me of the importance of that covenant. It's an outward display of the covenant that a bride and groom are making before uh, God and the covenant that has been made in, in the eyes of the Lord. So all that to say, marriage isn't something that should be entered into lightly. If you have people in your family that are having conversations about marriage, maybe you can share this wisdom with them to understand that this isn't something that you're going to do so that you can just be together. You're making a covenant. You're making um, an agreement for all of your life to stay together. It's not an arrangement. It's not just a way to not be lonely as you do life. Marriage is a covenant, and as followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that we push through those misunderstandings, we push through those disagreements, we push through the intense conversations and stay committed to the covenant that we have made before God. And to speak more into that, Brett and Kate Ryan from Focus on the Family join us again. There's a verse that often gets put out of context when he said, you know, husbands submit to your wives, but forget there's a couple of verses before there and it says, uh, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. So my role as a husband is to submit to Kate and Kate is to submit to me. And then the bar gets lifted even higher and it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I mean, this is, a, this is a high bar that he was willing to lay down his life. And that's what I need yeah. to do as a husband is to lay down my life. It's not what I want and and it's not what uh, it's it's not my will over her will. It's actually saying I want to see you succeed. I want to see you being uh, in all things to be the very best version of herself, and to encourage her to do that. And as we do that under God, it's a win-win because then you benefit from the, the the dividend. And you don't do it because of the dividend. You do it because that's the way that God had ordained. And my role is to, as Kate already says, to love and to protect. And if I can do that well, I'm honouring God and I'm also honour, honouring our vows. And I, I think too with that, I mean, that's absolutely beautiful and exactly where we start. But when we first started dating or, you know, when we got married early on, there was this beautiful song going on. I heard this recently with somebody describe it like this. There's a beautiful song being played, you know, a love song. And 
as life has got in the way, we start to get off tune. And we just need to get back to the beautiful love song. Why did we marry that person? Why did we choose them? Why did we think that we were going to be able to walk this journey with them in the first place? Um, What was our vision for our marriage back then? You know, what did God have in store for us? You know, and and get back to the basics of, of how we started. Because sometimes when you go back, you, you go, that's right, there was this and you had that passion and, you know, I really haven't fed into that or encouraged you in that and I really need to get back to that. Is that still your passion? And we need to, one of the things we talk about is being curious about your spouse and because we change in every season. Yeah. And so it's, is that still your passion? Because I really haven't seen you do that or I haven't spoken into that and encouraged you or, you know, what is it I can do to help you thrive? Yeah. Um. Be curious is a great word. And you have to be a student of your spouse. Yeah. Just when you think you've got to graduate. There's uh, something else. You have to change (laughs) and go back to the books. Well, thank you, Brett. Thank you, Kate, for speaking into that covenant-keeping marriage. Now, as we finish today and as we celebrate marriage over this coming week, I want to encourage you to spend some time investing into your marriage. Now, wives, I know that it's lockdown and you might very well be sick of looking at your husband, but what you could do is imagine he's someone like Brad Pitt. All right, no, sorry. Don't do that. No, don't go there. That was obviously just a joke and a bad one at that, just following on from our gathering last week. Hi, Graham. But seriously, what I want you to do is I want you to try and see your husband the way that God sees him. He might be a little rough around the edges, but he is precious nonetheless. And husbands, you don't get off scot-free either. When you look at your wife today, I don't want you to concentrate on her flaws. I don't want you to look at the ways where the areas where she could improve or where you would like her to change or all those kind of things, the things that annoy you about her. We've got to get beyond that because we've got to see our spouse the way that God sees them. So rather than seeing her through those eyes, Try and look at your wife every day through the eyes of the Lord as we read about in verse 27. Here's how he sees her, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Husbands, I want you to see your wife that way each and every day. Now, I really love being married. I absolutely do. Jackie is my best friend. She is such a delight and I feel so very blessed to have her in my life. I'd rather spend a moment with her than time with anybody else. That doesn't mean we haven't had our struggles during lockdown. Of course we have. It doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, times when we don't like each other. We do have those times, but we are committed to our marriage. We are committed to growing together and being more each day like that biblical model of marriage that we read about in Ephesians 5. And hopefully for you, I hope that that's where you're at today. If you're in a tough season when it comes to marriage, I want you to, rather than have that uh, that disunity and that discord, I want to encourage you to come together, spend time together, push through the pothole that is in front of you and continue on the journey to your destination. My hope and my prayer as we close today 
is that you can say the same thing about your husband or your wife that I say about mine. She is my best friend. I love her so very much and I am honoured and privileged to spend every moment with her. You might not always understand it. I know that I definitely don't always understand marriage, but it should be cherished and it should be celebrated because it is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great mystery of Christ and his church. To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.